Amen. Good singing tonight. Even with a new song, y'all were doing pretty well. So, all right, if you would grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Titus. We're going to be in the, really, we're, we're pretty much going to move through the whole book of Titus almost tonight. Thankfully, it's just the book of Titus, so it's only three chapters. All right, I didn't choose, you know, Isaiah or Psalms, so we're all right, okay? And uh, Titus, Titus chapter 1 is where we'll start. And uh, as we look through the book, we'll, we'll see quite a few things, and I'm, I'm going to kind of grab a, a theme throughout this book. And we're going to go down to verse number 15. I know there's a lot of things before that, but we'll jump right down to verse 15 here of Titus chapter 1. He says, Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Now, uh, a theme throughout the book of Titus is good works. It's good works. Uh, you see it repeatedly throughout the book. We're going to see it a whole bunch tonight. Uh, and truly, uh, we understand, right? You get into chapter 3 of the book of Titus uh, and verse number 4, and he says, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, I'm going to talk about good works tonight and the Christian's good work that he is supposed to be doing. Uh, but the truth is that some folks in the world and religion overall is of the opinion that uh, your works can go ahead and save you. Uh, that's not the position of the Bible, nor is it the position of God at this particular moment. Uh, understand this, uh, that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saves us. And it's His grace and His mercies upon us that you and I have salvation. It's provided at the cross of Calvary by the Lord Jesus Christ, shedding His blood and paying the debt of all of our sins and being buried and rising again the third day to give victory over death and sin and the grave and for you and I to have victory for all of eternity. Uh, to give us the gift of eternal life, He has to have it. And Jesus Christ proved that He had it when He rose from the grave and uh, He was seen of above 500 brethren and all the other things and there's many infallible proofs of His resurrection to prove that He did exactly what He said He did. And so uh, you have that and that is our salvation. But uh, notice, uh, although the good works are not part of our salvation, they ought to be indicative of the Christian life. And we're going to see that throughout, the chapter, uh, throughout these three chapters uh, and in the first chapter, we notice as way of introduction that there are some folks that want to say that they know God. Verse 16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. Now, we understand uh, not everybody in this room, although we're saved, we don't live perfect. All right? Uh, the fact that a saved individual can still sin is a true statement. 
We still fail. We still falter. We still have this sinful flesh that you and I are bound in. And until a trumpet sounds or the Lord takes us home, you and I are bound in this body of flesh. And we are supposed to be able to gain victory over that sin. We are supposed to live victoriously. But we also understand that a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Uh, we fail. Uh, the Lord's command is still be holy, for I am holy. It does not excuse your, your flesh and the fact that we still live in this life does not excuse us from our sin. In fact, it goes ahead and proves that you and I shouldn't have any of it. We should try to stay away from it. And when we do fail and we do falter, we ought to get forgiveness from our God, not to do anything to save us again, but instead to prove that, hey, I want to be in fellowship with my God. You see, when he talks about those good works and onto every good work, reprobate, they are separated. Uh, it's not good for them. They don't go toward good works. They don't want to be part of good works. Uh, to them, it's cast off and cast aside. You look at somebody and uh, the Lord says earlier, right, in the book of Matthew, he says that a corrupt tree can't bring forth good fruit, neither can an evil tree bring forth, uh, or neither can a good tree bring forth evil fruit. Uh, he purposely delineates between the two. When you got saved, you got put into Jesus Christ and you got grafted in. And the branch is supposed to bring forth fruit from what it's attached to. And you got attached to Jesus Christ at salvation. Now, someone that just professes to know God and professes those things doesn't mean that they actually do. In works, they deny the Lord Jesus Christ. They say, well, do you know if they're saved or not saved? I have no idea. I have no idea, but it doesn't look like it. It just doesn't look like it. And you get to this spot, and so the question comes, well, good works, you know, really do, do we care about good works after salvation? I mean, it's, we don't have to do anything to be saved. We don't have to do anything to stay saved. So what does it matter to do good works or not do good works? And this, this book makes it very replete as to why we should. Um, and what he tells us. But I'm going to start off with just a few things by way of introduction, and then we'll have a word of prayer and get in. But uh, James chapter 4 reminds us that to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him sin. Say, well, why should a Christian do good things? Because when you don't do good, you're committing sin against the one that saved you. So you ought to do good. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, uh, Paul reminds us that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus onto good works. You know, God didn't save you by good works, but he did save you so that you could do them. Before you and I got saved, we weren't really good at being good. <laughs> the Lord saved us, why? So that you could actually be good to somebody. Uh, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, after he talks about that uh, the scriptures and how it's supposed to be working through us and thoroughly furnished onto all good works. The word of God gets in and what does it do? It changes the way that you behave yourself. It ought to change and as you grow as a Christian, you recognize some things that you did or some things that you've been doing or some things that uh, you thought about doing and you said, I'm glad I didn't do that. And you go, I need to change some things. Why? Because it wouldn't be good. It just wouldn't be good. Uh, Paul tells them to live as becometh the gospel. To live, to live so it looks good, the, the gospel. We read it this morning in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 24. Uh, we are supposed to provoke one another unto love and 
Good works. That's part of the assembling. We got together so that we could what? Provoke one another onto love and to good works. To do the right thing. You know, you can encourage people to do the right thing. Say, can you make them do the right thing? Nope. Most of, most of what I do is to encourage people to try and do the right thing. And that's their choice, what they want to do. But my job is to encourage them to do the right thing. Because that's a good thing. It's a good thing to encourage somebody to go in the right direction. A world dictates itself and it goes out there. And you know what it does? It tries to put, we call it peer pressure. We use it with kids. We talk about it with kids all the time. And peer pressure and succumbing to peer pressure. But adults, you deal with it tries to pressure you and tries to push on you and tries to get you to say things or do things or have things or think certain ways. That's a constant throughout our lifetime to have pressures put upon us. And you know what the world does? The world uses those things and you go, well, you know, it's not right. Uh, it's not good to pressure people. Uh, my answer is uh, it's good to pressure people to do good. Or to provoke one another onto love and to good works. Why is it that they're allowed to use peer pressure and you're not? Go ahead and put some pressure on some people. The last time I checked, pressure sounds more like conviction. I understand you've got to let the Holy Spirit do certain things and, and the, He's going to work and let Him work and let Him do that. But He gets opportunity when you start putting pressure on somebody. If you sit there in silence, what has He got to work with? Anyways, I'm going to get off on some other things, so I'm going to <laughs> carry on here. But the truth is, the Lord has called us to love and good works, to provoke one another, to do those things. And throughout the book of Titus, we find that uh, he says four different things about what we ought to have in relation to our good works and what we ought to be. And so tonight, I'm just going to talk on the Christian's good work. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the night, and I thank you for, Lord, your goodness and your mercies upon us. I thank you that you're good, and you're good to us. And Father, I pray you'd help us to follow that pattern and go ahead and go forward as good Christians and stand up and do the right thing, Father, even when it's not the popular thing. Lord, help us to be good men and good ladies and, Father, good kids. And, Father, we grow up and, Lord, uh, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and that folks would be able to see that there is a great difference between us and the world. And, Father, I do pray that you would bless our night. Help us, Lord. Give me utterance and help me to say just what you once said. And Lord, we pray you'd come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen. And so here we are in the book of Titus. Now, uh, he's talking about good works. He's talking about who these people are. Uh, look over in verse, chapter 2. Uh, we'll jump down a little bit. He's talking to, of course, the aged men. He's talking to the aged women. He's talking to the young ladies. And he's talking to the young men. And he says about all of them, I think this is an all-encompassing thing. I don't think this is just to the young men here in verse number 7. He says this, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, nor not purloining but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. We'll stop right there. Uh, first thing he says is that you ought to have a pattern of good works. A pattern of good works. 
I started thinking about patterns, and uh, you know, I got a tie on tonight. It's got a little. It's a pattern. It's a design. It's designed that way. It repeats over and over again, uh, and a pattern is consistent. It's consistent. If it's not consistent, it's not a pattern. Uh, it's supposed to be repeatable. That's the idea. The idea is to keep repeating it. If I were to walk up here, you know, and some of you, I love numbers. You know I like numbers. All right, some of you are great with numbers. If I were to walk up here and I were to be like, okay, uh, give me, fill in the rest of the pattern. Two and 8,192. You can't figure out my pattern? Why? Because it's inconsistent. Now, if I go 1, 2, 4, 8, 18, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512, 1024, 2048, 4096, 8192. Oh, there it is. So, what are you doing? I'm just multiplying by 2. Just multiplying by 2 over and over again. And if I go all the way up and I go 15 times, I do that, and I get up to 116,284, and then I start going back. I divide by two now. It's a repeating pattern. If I go back and forth down to one and back up to 16,284, you could follow that pattern over and over and over and over and over again, and you'd never miss as long as you could see the pattern. Say, so what's the problem? Christians don't live their life as a pattern of good works. They're inconsistent. Could it be that you could be consistent enough to have a pattern of good works that someone could say, they're a Christian. So how do you know that? They're just good to people. They just do things good. Now, if I have to explain to you what is good and what is evil, that's because you've been sunk into the world so badly, you can't figure out what's good and what's evil. So I'm not even going to deal with that part because it's the simple truth of you know what is good and what is evil. And the world may try to twist that, but if you're saved in here, you understand what is good. Could there be a pattern in your life of good? If someone came in and they said, oh, I know him, he's good. That's a good man right there. That's a good lady. Hey, you've got good kids. What is that? That just shows they have a pattern of being good. That doesn't mean that they're perfect. That doesn't mean that they're ne they've never done anything wrong and they've never done, but could it be that you just consistently you're just good to people? Shouldn't that be the testimony of every Christian? That they're just good? Not that they're spectacular, not that they're anybody special. No, they're just good people. Why is it, and, and I, I mean this and I don't, I, I don't know how else to say it. Why is it that religious folks can be deemed good and a saved person can't be. That shouldn't be. Why is it that a Mormon can be considered good and you can't? And a Jehovah Witness can be considered good but you can't. Why is it that the world has a better outlook of them as religious folk than they do the church and the real church? Saved individuals on their way to heaven ought to have a better test. Why is it that you don't have a pattern of good works? Because you ought to. When Paul talks to Timothy, uh, hold your place right here in Titus, 1 first, uh, first Timothy chapter 1. 
Most people know verse 15. And most people know part of verse 17. But here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Look what Paul says in verse 16. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy. Why did I get mercy? That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What, what is Paul supposed to be a pattern of? A pattern that gets duplicated. Of what? That God is long-suffering and merciful and He can save the chiefest of sinners. Say, what are you trying to show? I'm trying to show when God starts talking about patterns, He wants them repeated. Well, would you have a pattern of good works? Could it be repeated? You're supposed to raise your children to do what? To be better than you. That's, that's a parent's goal. Be better than I am. To do what? To have a better pattern of being good than I am. I want you better than me. You, you lead somebody to the Lord, you get somebody out of that life, and you know what you do? You try, try to teach them everything you know so that they don't fall into the same holes you fell into when you first got saved. Spiritual children. So what are you doing? I'm just trying to make sure that they don't get in the same condemnations that I got into in this life. I don't make the same mistakes and the same missteps that I stepped in. Let's see if we can help them and show them a pattern of good works that will keep them out of trouble. It's a pattern, a pattern of good works. Notice he says that after he speaks to the young men and the young ladies here in Titus chapter 2, but he was talking to everybody, I think, in that passage. But even then, he's talking to the young folks at the end. The young folks are considered to be part of the idea of getting a pattern. The sooner you get a pattern of good works the better it will be. The better testimony you'll have. Some of us that grew up in church and messed up and we did stupid, stupid things, you know, we look back and we go, if I wouldn't have done that, I could be better right here. If I wouldn't have messed that up right there, I'd have been better right here. I would be better off if my mistakes would have been eliminated and I did the right thing and just did good things. So I don't know why my parents are so hard on me. That's why they don't want you to have the same things. Well, yeah, but you did that in your past. Yeah, that's how I know that that's dumb. Don't. I hate parents that, that get ashamed of the idea, well, well, you did that, and then they get ashamed, and they let their kid do whatever. No, you know why they shouldn't do that. Make sure they understand that. Yeah, that's how I have, I have authority to say you shouldn't do that. I was dumb. Own your mistake. And go, so don't repeat what I did. It was dumb. It'll cost you. So what are you trying to do? Just teach them a pattern. Teach them to keep those patterns of good works, good works, good works. Look at chapter 2 here at the end, verse number 11. There ought to be a pattern of good works, and we also ought to be zealous of good works. Look at verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. 
We ought to be zealous of good works. Now, uh, zealous means to be fervent and to have fervent uh, partisanship of one party. You're supposed to be on one person's side. For one person, a cause, or an ideal. First time that's used in the Bible. Somebody was zealous. I won't go into the whole story, parents. You're welcome. Uh, Numbers, chapter 25, the children of Israel have sinned and they've, affiliate, uh, they've got an affinity with the children of Moab, the Moabites, right? And the Lord is jealous and he's mad. <laughs> and so he's going ahead and he tells them, go ahead and kill everybody. And some fool thought it was going to be a great idea to bring somebody into the camp right about that moment. And Phineas chases them down and kills them. Runs them through. You know what the Lord said? That Phineas was zealous for his God. He didn't wait for anybody else. He didn't wait for a new order. He didn't wait for somebody. He didn't look around and go, somebody else needs to take care of that. He said, I'll take care of that. I'll go ahead and take care of that now. <laughs> and he did everything that he was commanded to do. And he didn't look for somebody else to pick up that slack. He did. So what was it? He was zealous for his God. He had a part, partisanship with one individual, and that was his God. And he knew whose side he was supposed to be on. And he is the reason that a plague was stayed from Israel. Because he was willing to be zealous. And to do the right thing. When nobody else really probably wanted to. Would you be willing to do some things that nobody else wants to do? Would you be willing to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this world? That's not popular. I, I, try, to, I try to just, I don't read a whole lot of news because that's just depressing. I certainly don't watch any of it. <laughs> that's worse. But I check out some stuff. I read headlines. I try to kind of... You know, just keep an eye on some things. I don't think I ought to be ignorant of this world. I don't think you ought to be consumed by it, but don't be ignorant of it. And I was reading through, and you know, there's a, I think, I'm trying to pull it all out. University of Arizona, I think, has an affinity with, uh, they had a contract with a Christian, uh, I don't know what they believe. I never looked at the school. I don't know their stance on doctrine or anything like that, but it was a Christian uh, university in Arizona. And they, they separated partnership with them. The school separated partnership with this Christian university because a woman on the board of education for the school wearing cat ears and identifying as whatever it is she was said, well, I don't like their statement because they say that they want to put biblical views on their students and to teach biblical views. And they, they said in the article that uh, others stood up and agreed that you shouldn't be pushing your indoctrination from a woman sitting there with cat ears on identifying as whatever she wants to identify as. Who's indoctrinated? Say, what is that? That is ungodly. 
and you go, well, you can't stand up there and say that. Yes, I can. And I will continue to say that. That is on God. That is not biblical. That is not, there is not, I'm going to get mad. I'm going to try not to. That's foolishness. That's the world's foolishness. And they go ahead and they try to indoctrinate a world with the idea that they, that is just absolutely foolish and unbelievable. And then they look at you and they say, you're the problem because you won't succumb to the stupidity that we have. You've got to go with my psychosis and go ahead and tell everybody that I can identify how I want to. No, you can't. You can't. I don't want to comment on the things that I would like to do to cats. I'm a dog person. Anyways, uh, and so would you be willing to make that distinction? That you don't want to live like the rest of the world lives? That you're not going to go along with the idea of all these things that they're going to put out there and all these things that they're going to have and all these ideas that they have and their ideologies that they want to hold to and they look at you and go, well, no, 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 we've got to to cancel you. We've got to get rid of you to stand there. You say, why would I do that? Because there's a blessed hope coming. Eventually, a trumpet will sound. That is inevitable. And as you look around and the world gets crazier, you know what you find? It's got to be getting closer. All the more reason to have some zeal. Go ahead and push to a finish line as opposed to giving up before you make it. Go ahead and finish well. He says to look for the blessed hope. He says, why? Because he, in verse number 14, he gave himself for us. Why should I be zealous to do the right thing? Because Jesus Christ was zealous to give his life. Not only that, but he goes ahead and redeems you. You talk about zealous, he gave his own life to make sure you could be redeemed. Pay for all of your, redeem us from all iniquity. All the things you've ever done wrong, the Lord paid for. He made sure to make it paid in full. And to purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Uh, You're purified and peculiar, you ought to be different than them. You know why? Because to the pure, all things are pure, and to the defiled, nothing is pure. To, to you and I, we're supposed to live pure. And to them, they have no idea what purity is. It ought to be different. That's different. And a world can't figure it out. And they can't figure you out. They can't figure out what Jesus did for you. But he goes ahead and sets you up to be set and ready and able to do the things that he asks you to do, to do good. We're a peculiar people and we ought to be zealous of good works. There ought to be a pattern of good works. You ought to have a zeal for good works. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So what do we ought to be? We ought to be ready, ready to do good works. Uh, Christians, we're not ready anymore. Uh, We struggle at being ready to give the gospel, let alone be ready to give somebody some help. Uh, Just to be good to somebody. We're so conditioned to be protecting ourselves that we don't know how to reach out and love and be good. 
and that that really doesn't sound. I mean, don't I have to take care of myself? No. You realize that you and I, our job is not to take care of ourselves. This is that's a worldly mentality. Well, I got to look out for me. No, no. The Lord looks out for you. The Lord is watching out for your cares. The Lord is watching out for what your needs are. The Lord is watching out to protect you. The Lord is making sure that you are taken care of day in and day out. Your job is not to look out for you. Your job is to look out for His interests. What does He want me to do? Where does He want me to go? What does He want me to say? How can I be a help? How can I be an encouragement? How can I do good? Ready to do good. Giving the gospel, by the way, is good. That's a good thing. You ought to be ready to give the gospel. You ought to be ready to be good to people. Uh, I'm not going to go there just for sake of time. I don't want to take too much time tonight. But Luke chapter 10, right? You have the good Samaritan. Right? The question comes, well, who's my neighbor? <laughs> who's that? <laughs> and so the Lord comes out and he says, well, you know, there's this man. And he goes and he gets uh, taken, you know. The thieves come and they beat him up and they leave him there for dead and along the side of the road. And you got the priest, you got the Levite, you got the Samaritan. And the one guy who stops is the Samaritan. Now you think about that story. If you want, you can read it over later. It's verse 25 down to verse 37. Uh, if you want to read it there in Luke chapter 10. But the Samaritan, you know what he has to do to be good to that man? First thing he has to do is go out of his way. He had to turn and check on this guy. He went out of his way. You know, doing good isn't always convenient. You know what he had to have? He had to have compassion upon him. You, know, you want to know why Christians aren't good? They've lost compassion. To have compassion means that you feel what they feel. Okay. Isn't the Lord a compassionate Savior? And we reach down, and what do you try to do? Well, He dresses His wounds. He picks Him up and puts Him on His beast. He goes ahead and takes Him to the inn. And He takes care of Him for the day. What's He doing? He's working. It takes work to be good to people. Why? Because people aren't that good. You realize it is hard to be good to some people. You ever met those people? I mean, not that they're in this room, but right. I mean, there's nobody. There's nobody that's really hard. To, I mean, your spouse isn't hard to be good to some days, is it? Your parents and your kids, your neighbor, your coworker, some friends, family, extended family. Well, yeah, but I'd have to take time. It takes time to be good. That's why it's an active move. It's good works. <laughs> it takes work, and it takes time, and it takes some sacrifice. You know, he gave up. He gave up the comfort of his own beast. He put the man on his beast, and he walked it. He walked the rest of the way with that man riding in comfort. Well, I don't want to give up my comforts. Okay. 
then you won't be very good. He took the time, and then not only that, guess what he did? He said, hey, I'm going to pay this money, and if that's not enough, when I come back, I'll pay you the rest. What did he do? He paid an unknown amount. He paid a price that he had no idea what the final tally was going to be. You know what? Being good to people costs you. It costs you time. It costs you money. It costs you work. It costs you effort. It sacrifices your comfort for their comfort. It, it does also. But why should I do that? Because the Lord sacrificed all that for you. Well, we ought to be, you ought to be ready to be good. We don't put ourselves in a good position to be good. We don't notice an opportunity. We instead, we go ahead and just keep walking. We don't even take a look to the left to see that guy down there in the hole. We just walk on by. We aren't looking to, to do anything nice for anybody else. Oftentimes, our days are filled with, what can I get done for me? I'm we preaching right now, in case you're wondering, because that's me too. I need to get stuff done. I'm busy. I don't have time. I want to go. I want to spend time with my family. I got to finish this, and I got to finish that, and I got to take care of what I want to take care of. And we lose sight of being good. Say, so who does? I do. Lose sight of just being good and being ready to take an opportunity to be good to somebody. We already read verses 4 through 7 about the Lord being rich in mercy to us and Him being kind to us, Him saving us by His mercy and justified by His grace. Verse number 8, He says this, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Verse 14, he says, after listing some men, he says, and let ours, let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses. Why? That they be not unfruitful. We need to maintain good works. Maintain them. Anybody maintain their vehicle? Take it in the shop, get the oil changed, tires rotated, you know, do all the normal maintenance that we have to do. Some of you work jobs at factories and all sorts of things. What do we do? We do preventive maintenance on equipment. We maintain it so that it doesn't break down. To prevent a breakdown, we take a pause and maintain it to make sure that it's going to run right without us having to have a major shutdown and wait for parts because it broke. We maintain. You know what the Lord told us? Maintain good works. And what does that do? Uh, it makes it so that you do constant upkeep on making sure you're still doing it right. It's a check on yourself to go, am I being good to anybody? <laughs> have, have I stopped being good to everybody else? 
and just worried about me this week? Have I stopped taking time to witness to somebody? Have I stopped taking time to help somebody else? Have I stopped reaching to a lost person or have I stopped reaching to my family or have I stopped reaching to my friends or have I gotten so into my own self that all I can worry about are my own problems and my own things? And people go, well, well, I have so much going on. There's your problem. Sufficient on the day is the evil thereof. I already said earlier, the Lord takes care of you. Stop worrying about the things you can't take care of. That's not you. Say, what do I need to do? Worry about what he asked you to do. Sometimes it's just better that you do good things for other people because it lightens the burden off of you. It's amazing. It's amazing. You ever take some time and just go and be nice to somebody? And afterwards, your spirit changed. Amazingly enough. Almost as if ministering to other people is better for you than it is for them. You ever been that way? You ever been where you go somewhere and you're like, I'm going to be good to these people, let me tell you. And you show up, right? You're going to be a blessing to them. You do. You, you help them out. And the whole time, they're just blessing you the whole time you're standing there. You're thinking, I'm supposed to show up and help you, but I feel so much, I mean. Hey, what is that? That's the Lord repaying your goodness. Notice what he said about it. He said, be careful to maintain good works. He says, let us learn to maintain good works. Learn. Well, that means you have to figure out what you need to do to keep them going. I don't know what motivates you, but I do know the motivation right here was the fact that the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. And you and I got not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Maybe the fact that God saved you is enough to go ahead and spur you into maintaining good works. Hey, God's been awfully good to me. I don't have what I deserve. Maybe I ought to be good to somebody else because they don't deserve it either, but I'll go ahead and do that. Some of that is how you learn to maintain them. Why? Because you don't want to be unfruitful. You know, if you do constant upkeep, you know what you'll have? You'll have a pattern of good works. And why didn't I keep my pattern going? Because you didn't maintain. You'd have a pattern of good works if you'd maintain them. If you would keep a check and go, have I been good? Have I been, have I been good to other people? Or am I just sitting here all self-centered and self-demolished? Because all I'm doing is worrying about me. And the Lord says, you just been about you, then okay, I need to maintain, I need to fix that real quick so that I can keep my pattern of good works. You say, well, I'm not perfect. None of us are. None of us are. There's a skip in the pattern every once in a while, right? But you'll note, if I were to walk, walk away, and from right here, some of you can see this little pattern on this tie, right? If one of these, like right here, or maybe right over here, if one of those lines wasn't there, from a distance, your brain would fill that in as if the pattern was whole. 
It's automatic. Anybody ever proofread a document? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Ten minutes after you print it, you're like, there's that typo. Why didn't I see that the 30 times I read it before I printed it? Very simple. Your brain filled it in. The pattern was already there. You understood what the word was, and your brain automatically filled in the letter. It switched the letters around for you. Your brain just automatically does those things. Say, well, I missed, and I messed up. Doesn't matter. Get back into the pattern. Get back into the pattern. Why? Because everybody else's brains will fill in the rest. Well, I know you messed up there, but no, they forget about that mistake after a while. It just goes into the rest of the pattern. The Lord forgives you. The rest of the people, they'll forgive you eventually. And things just... Because if you're maintaining good works and you want to be good, you'll end up with a good pattern. We'll go over Galatians chapter 6, and I am done. I read the whole passage, but I'm not going to. In verse 1, all the way down, right? It's the passage on someone who's overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Right? He tells him to go ahead and restore him and help him. Every man bears his own burden. You get to Galatians chapter 6. You get down there in verse number uh, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh, shall the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the spirit, shall the spirit reap life everlasting. He tells him, be not weary in well-doing. For in due season ye shall reap, if you faint not. At what? Doing the right thing. Look at verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Take the opportunities the Lord gives you. To do what? To be good. To somebody. There are people in your life, saved or lost, they need somebody just to be good to them because nobody else is going to be. Nobody else can be good to them. Maybe you take a moment and be good to them and they'd be able to see that you have a Savior that they don't know. Maybe you'd be able to do something where they get to go, why is that guy so good? Why is that lady so good to me? And get to give them the gospel. Get to talk to them about your Savior. The Lord goes ahead and you say, well, I ought to be especially to the household of faith. Yeah, because they ought to know that you're family. And you ought to be good to them. And try and encourage them to do well. Provoke them to love and to good works. Let's go ahead and stand. I don't know what you need tonight. Maybe you need to pray for a few minutes, or maybe you just need to think for a moment. This is one of those thinker messages. You get thinking about the things you've done and the things you haven't done and the things that you wish you would have done and all that stuff gets going in your brain. I know. Maybe you just need to go, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm not, I haven't been good. I just been all about me. And I, I stopped thinking about everybody else. I made it all about me instead of about you. Because it's all about the Lord. It's what He wants us to do and how He wants us to behave. And He says, hey, let's, let's be about the good works. Let's do the right thing. Let's be good unto all men. Especially those of the household of faith. If you're in here tonight, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. You can do all the good things you want to do. You can try to be the best person you can be. 
but without the mercy and the grace of God, you don't have salvation. Your good works will never be enough to get you to heaven. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. You can trust Jesus Christ tonight forever to have your sins forgiven. Would you be willing to come and say, hey, I don't know, I'm going to heaven. We'll take a Bible and we'll show you how you can know sins forgiven forever. Father, I thank you for the night. I pray you would bless the invitation now. Thank you so much for how good you've been to us. We pray you would bless our night in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your song books.